So this week I was, I was studying for, for this moment and I came across this, this uh, I don't know what it is, a condition that, that airline pilots or any kind of air, airplane pilots run into called spatial disorientation. Anybody know? I know Grant, you know what that is. Anybody else know what that is? Other than something that makes me look really smart, spatial disorientation. I was thinking about that. I woke up thinking about that. That's when you're flying and, and your inner ear plays into this thing or your sense of hearing. You just are convinced that the instruments are wrong and that you're flying differently than the instruments are telling you. Uh, I, I heard one person was talking about this fighter pilot that because this happened, it usually happens in foggy weather or bad weather, crashed her plane, uh, crashed her jet into the ground because she was flying for what all, everything in her was telling her was right or where she was or how she was flying. In fact, uh, those of us that are a little older, that's, how, that's what killed John F. Kennedy Jr. was he's flying from New York up to Hyannis and uh, in the fog in a small plane and just started to go by what he was sensing and not what the instruments were telling him and, and crashed the plane. I mean, I just think what a great carryover to, how, to seasons where so many of us live where we get, this is what I know people are telling me, people who care about me are telling me, or I, I know this is even what God is saying, but this is what I feel. This is what I feel is gonna work. Or this is what I really, really believe. It's not an emotional thing. I just, this is what I believe. And so we end up crashing our life or we end up diverting our life or we go through a period of just, we find out that, well, that was a wasted season because of, because of that same kind of a dynamic. And so I want to I want to start a series this morning that kind of takes us through these takes us moves us from places where we thought we were doing okay or we thought we knew where we were or we thought we were on the right track or or relating to people well only to find out not so much. There are books in the Bible that kind of take that on sometimes for specific issues like the book of Corinthians where Paul has heard things about them, they've asked him questions, and so he, he jumps into that, or, or other books that just step into, I know this is what you thought, but this is, this is reality, or I know this is where you've come from, but this is where, this is where life is going, and, and this is how you need to do this. And that book for me is First John. That's how I see John unfolding things. We're going to call this series Keeping It Real. Because I think that's the burden on John's heart as he goes, as he writes this letter. I think he's later in his life, seems like it's later in his life. As a person who followed Jesus, who, who left everything to follow Jesus, and who saw what Jesus did, heard what Jesus taught, got a sense of what the person Jesus was, watched him die horribly, and then gave his life to making sure people knew about him. Now at the end of his life, it just seems like it would make sense that he's making sure that message that gets passed on is the real thing, is the true right copy of it, and that it's not being diluted and it's, it's not being distorted in any way. And I think that's one of the purposes of, of 1 John, is, is making sure it's real. And so you hear this phrase all the time, hey, we're just trying to keep it real, we're just trying to keep it real. 1 John is a book that just kind of lay, lay open our walk with Jesus and make sure it's real. As he, as he moves through it, true is going to be a word that, that you're going to find is to be a key word for John. There's a number of key words for him. There's a number of themes that he goes through that are going to become important to him. He's going to talk about knowing and, and what we can know. 
He's going to use that word. We'll see, we'll see later on the message several times. Truth is a word that he's going to keep weaving in and out of. In fact, one, I remember one chapel in seminary, the chapel speaker got up and he said, I want you to turn to the most difficult book in the Bible to outline. He didn't tell us what it was, so I'm thinking Proverbs, because Proverbs like shotguns. It's all, one minute you're talking about honesty, and the next minute you're talking about friends, and the next minute you're talking about not being a fool. So I thought Proverbs. And he said, no, it's First John. Because First John just keeps, you start a theme, and then he circles back, and then he comes back, and so he's just weaving. You know, kind of like when you're really emotional, and you're really burdened for someone, and you're talking, and you're not, a lot of times in those talks, you don't really follow a straight line of logic because you're just so concerned. It almost seems like that's what's going on with John. Light and love are important words in First John. Sinning is an important word in First John. The evil one keeps appearing through First John, and of course John would have been encountering him, and we'll see that where this place is. He wants to make sure. This is a moment in the world where we need to make sure not so much make sure that you're saved, although that's going to be an important thread that comes through First John, but to make sure you're experiencing the real thing, that, that your experience in this relationship you have with Jesus, this Christian life, is the real thing, and, and that it's not downgraded because of fear or because of false, you know, false ideas or whatever that is, so that you're experiencing the real thing. And on the flip side of that, so that the world gets to see the real thing. The world gets to see what is genuine because this week the name Christian was used a lot in the news, but it didn't really reflect anything that, that represents me or, or that represents Jesus. And so, so important for us to make sure that when people see us and we say that we're Christians, we say we're followers of Jesus, that they're getting to see something that's genuine. You know, human, but genuine. And so well, that's one of the reasons we're going to be going through First John. John says in his, at the end of his gospel, he told, he told them why, why he wrote that. He said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's interesting. Not many books of the Bible tell, come right out and tell you why they were written, but John will do that. He'll do that in the gospel, like here, and then he'll do that in his letter. I've written this gospel so that you would really believe Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, by taking that step, you'd have eternal life. That's why he wrote the, the gospel. He's going to tell us at the end of 1 John why he wrote this letter. And that's where I'm going to start. I want to start at the end of the letter and then come back next week and, and start make our way through the beginning. So, yeah, turn with me to 1 John 5, and we'll start in verse 13. First John 5, I'm going to start in verse 13. I'm going to read through the, through the end of the letter. Some of these verses, I'm going to jump over and we'll come back to them as we make our way through. But he says, I write these things to you. So he's going to, again, let us know why, what this letter is for. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he, sh he shall ask and, and God will give him life 
to those who commit sins that don't lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I, I do not say that one should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Hey, and just put your mind on hold, because I'm going to come back to that one. We're not, I'm not going to cover that one today. In verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we're from God, and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, guard yourself from idols. So here we are as believers. We can live in this, this sense and this conviction of things that we know where the rest of the world really lives in a sense of, I think, this is what I think, that there's a deep conviction that you and I can have because we know that we know that we know, because we know we found the truth. We know that Jesus is, is being straightforward and we believe him when he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, that we have found this. I love that moment in John 6 when all the disciples are leaving Jesus and he says to the 12, he says, are you guys gonna leave me also? And they say, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you. So we live in this, in this sense of I know. We know and we're convinced and we're, we know we're right. We need to be right well. You know, that's what I appreciate about Peter, isn't he? He says, always be ready to give an answer, but do that with gentleness and respect. So we need to be convinced well, but we can, we can be convinced. And so in this in this closing, he says, I've written these things to you because I want you to be sure of these things that you know, these things that are true about us. I want you to have a deep conviction about them. And I want to just kind of walk through those this morning. He says in verse 13, I've written to those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know you have eternal life. You can know, and John tells you, that you have eternal life. Step back on that a minute. Because we're, I think, I think biblical Christianity is maybe the only religion that lets a person know that, that you've crossed the line. I mean, it seems like in every other religion, because it's a works-based religion, you're just constantly trying to get there. And, and you, never, you never know when you do. I remember talking to somebody that grew up in one brand of Christianity, not biblical Christianity, but I remember them saying they just felt like they were on a treadmill and that they were never going to get off of trying to do the right things and do more of them and, and, you know, good deeds, go to church, whatever that is. You never know when you're going to cross the line. There was a, a booklet written called How Good is Good Enough that if you can be saved by what you do, then God can't be a good God because he never lets you know how much you need to do. You know, as a parent, think about that. You know, hey, I want you to, you need to do some chores if you're hoping to live in this house. All right, what chores? Chores. How many? Just chores. Oh, when, can, when, I, when do you open the door so that I can come in? When you've done the chores. They're just that whole viciousness that never lets you know you've crossed the line. And so John is telling you that you have crossed the line, that you have eternal life. Hey, step back and think about that. That right now, you have eternal life. I mean, we think in terms of, hey, I know I'm saved, I've trusted Jesus, I, I'm following him. But let your mind get around that fact that right now you have eternal life. 
You're going to live forever and ever and ever in, in the perfect place. You're going to live forever as the person that God created you to be. You're going to live forever doing the things that God created you to do. That it's going to be an eternity with God, an eternity of worshiping Him, but an eternity of being so fulfilled as a person because you're finally living where and how you were supposed to live forever and ever and ever. You have that right now. You know, if anyone asks, you can pull that out and show them your card. Your name is, already, is written in heaven, so they're waiting for you. It's not going to be one of those times we've all had them where you go somewhere and you say, whatever, you made a reservation, you called ahead, you bought this, and now you're coming to pick it up, and you have that moment of, what is your name again? You know, there, that is never going to be said in heaven. You know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be probably, I don't know, what a matter of, what Jeff Chandler are you? I mean, because it's got to be more than one, you know, in, in that way. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to ask what phrase you were having on in that. But yeah, yeah. Think about that. When you were first saved, those of, those of us that had moments were saved, some of you just, you're so blessed you grew up in this, and maybe it's hard for you to even realize, when did I cross the line and, and trust Jesus to be my Savior? When did I realize it wasn't me? Man, for, for me as a 14-year-old, and so for many of us as adults, that was something I did over and over and over. You know, I'd go to Word of Life rallies, or our pastor would preach and give an invitation for people to trust Jesus to be their Savior. And I think, what if I didn't mean it last time? Me, you know, and you get to next week. Man, I'm still sinning quite a bit. I, I, I want to get saved. Or... What if in all these things, and so over and over and over, and John wants to take that away from you and just give you this assurance, you have eternal life. Now move on. You have eternal life, and so move on. So some of you, that, some of you that, that wrestle with doubt, you need to just receive this from, from the Apostle John, this assurance that he's giving to you. You know what I loved about this that hit me this week? Sometimes I'm blessed in the scriptures like Paul writes and or John and they'll say we. So you get a sense that, wow, we have an equal experience with them. But in this instance, I really appreciate the fact that he says you so that you may know you have eternal life. Because if he puts we there, you know, those of us that, are, that have some guilty wiggle room, we might say, well, John's saying we. What if he's talking about him and the really spiritual people. But when he says you, and God puts it in the forever book, then it's waiting for you to read it. These thousands of years, years later, God is just waiting to meet you so that you can know, you can have assurance that you have eternal life. Amen. So just rest in that. If you doubt that, it's going to be hard to move forward. In the early days of our marriage, you know, your first year of marriage, so and so many of you are in your first year of marriage. One of the things you're doing, if your eyes are open as a guy, is you are trying, you're trying to figure this thing out. You're trying not to blow this thing. And I'm coming in with this woundedness of a father who, who was supposed to stay with me, who left me. So I'm trying to make sure Cindy does not leave me. I mean, now that you've gotten to know me, I mean, how would she, why would she ever leave me, right? <laughs> right? Thank you. Everybody broke out laughing. I'm trying to interpret that, yeah. I don't even imagine what you're doing watching on live stream, honey. <laughs> but I am. I'm wondering, you know, somewhere in my mind, that is playing out. It's playing out in, 
what I do or how I argue or how I react to arguments. That's really where that would come out because I was not sure. See, it's hard to, it's hard to move forward with insecurity or with doubt. And so John wants you to grow. We're going to see that through this letter. It's hard as for you to move forward and move forward. You're not going to be able to do that if you're not sure. And so he's telling us, you can be sure you have eternal life. He goes on, you can be sure that God hears you. So not an area, who doesn't wrestle in prayer with God? Are you, do you, are you even hearing me in that sense? He says, this is the confidence in verse 14 that we have toward him, that if, he, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the requests we've asked of him. Do you see that word no confidence? It, it just keeps showing up. See, not everybody's sure. People wrestle with that. Even in the Psalms, they wrestled with that, don't they? How much longer, Lord, do I have to pray and you don't do anything? How many more nights, there's the places, how many more nights do I have to cry through the night and yet you don't do anything? So John is speaking in because here again, the apostles probably want to make sure this gets passed on. Listen, God isn't just listening to us because we're apostles. He's listening to us because we're his. You know, one commentator says, we're not beggars coming to God. We are children of a wealthy father. What a great perspective of, of your prayer. When Here's my request, and you, can, you, have the, you have everything you need to answer it, and I have the right to ask for it. And I'm asking according to your will. I used to think that was kind of a door closer. <laughs> that it, okay, well, so I got to ask what you want and not what I want. But now, you know, the more I get to know God and the more I get to know me, I know that, man, God, the best thing for me to ask is for what you want for me and for me to stop telling you, here's a great plan. Have you ever thought of this? <laughs> you know, think about that. Think about that. So he says, here's the confidence that we have. And he, he tells us kind of three things in that. It seems like that you can speak freely. That's what that word confidence means, that you don't have to, you don't have to be uptight. You can, it's a relationship where you can just speak freely. You get to know somebody, you're not sure how much you can tell them, you know, and they say to you, what do you think? You know, you're guarded. But the more you get to know them, the more you feel like you can speak freely. Or see those movies or TV shows where they, they say, can I speak freely? That's this word. I, I love the Psalms when it's talking about prayer. It says, just pour out your heart to God. You don't have to use the right words. You don't have to, you don't have to pray for so long. You can just kind of put it on the table. Sometimes, sometimes prayer can just seem like you are puking your emotions and it's this incredibly messy thing. But up in heaven, I think they, they're glad that they peel off all of the religious stuff and we're just putting out there how we're struggling or what we're wrestling with. But there it is. So on one, sen one sense, he's telling you, you can speak freely. On the other sense, he's letting you know that you're, you are heard. Because don't you get so frustrated in those those times you're talking to someone and they are on Facebook. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, really, uh-huh. Here again, I'm really glad Cindy's not here, you know, so. But don't you hate that? You know when people are listening to you, sometimes you'll even jump in and you'll say, have you heard what I said to you? And so you jump into that and of course you say, of course I did. And then they say that dangerous, unfair thing to you. What did I say? In heaven, in heaven, John is telling you that God is constantly, he hears everything you say. 
and he hears exactly how you're saying it, and he knows why you're using these words and not these words, and he knows what's going on in your heart to ask you that, you know, that you're asking him to do this, and he knows all of the what-if scenarios that are playing out in your mind. He knows all of those things. John is giving you that assurance that you're being heard in heaven, and you're being heard as you're coming in, you're not in line behind me because I'm a pastor or other people because they've got it so much together. You're coming to God and, and in that, just the mystery of God, he's able to hear all of us at the same time without having to tell anybody, you wait, your, your, his, his request is more important than yours, so you just wait your turn. John is telling you, you can be confident that he's hearing you. And then the other element of that, that if, if you know he's heard you, then you know it's settled, it's okay. It's almost that sense, you know, when you leave, you, you've asked somebody to do something at work or at home or whatever, and you leave, you say, so you'll take care of that, right? And they say, right. That's what it seems like with John. So you'll take care of this God, right? I mean, this is somebody I really care about, or this situation could really go bad fast. You'll take care of it, right? We know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. We know that he's going to handle it. It might not be, and, and that's always where Russell, right? It might not be in our timing, might not be our way, but he's going to handle it. He's going to handle it. The word from heaven is always, I've heard you, and I've got this. Now just rest in it. That brings you to that calm that Cindy was talking about. You can experience calm because you know you've been heard. We had one of our old deacons up in Maine used to say, if somebody prayed something, then he never prayed it again because he figured God had already heard it, but why, so why should somebody else ask the same thing? And I never really said, I appreciated what are you saying? But I also thought, man, there's just something in us to want to come back and say, God, I already know I talked to you about this, but I just need to talk to you about it again. And that's just father, children. He, he gives us that picture. And so that's fine to keep doing, you know, or to come back and say, God, I know, I know I should trust you more in this. I just need to let you know, I'm really worried. I'm really worried. And so help me to step into your peace. He hears that. And he gets, he gets to work on it. So John tells us again, here's this other confidence you can know, this thing that you can know, that you know, that you know, that you have eternal life, that God hears you. He goes on and he says this one that, that kind of pauses us a little bit when you get to verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. That's an uncomfortable one. Isn't it? We know that no one is born of God keeps sinning. Or I think the New American Standard says, we know that no one is born of God practices sin. I remember thinking, I don't need to practice. I'm really good. I am really good at it. I've got sin down. I mean, you just, I can just do it. Or, you know, in sports, they talk about this person. This person is a natural. That's me. I'm a natural. It just comes naturally to me. I know... I know how to sin, I know when to sin, I, I know when to let up a little bit, but then I know when to go back to it. Or they're talking so much about Trevor Lawrence coming out of Clemson as a quarterback. All I've heard these couple weeks is he has all the tools. And I thought about that too. I've got all the tools that I need to sin and, and they are sharp because I've refined them and I've, I've used them a lot. I, I don't need to practice in any of those things. You know, and Sadie, our new sweet little granddaughter, is she good? Yeah. She, she's going to know how to sin automatically, 
automatically she is. Joey and Mark, you know, one thing, one thing we appreciate about them, appreciate about you, is that they are, you know, they're, they're intentional Christian parents. I mean, they want, the, they want those kids. They want, you know, Bella gave her heart to Jesus in the spring. Luke and Sadie, they want them to belong to him and follow him. They will never sit down with Sadie and say, now, Sadie, honey, here's how you tell a lie. Here's how you lie to mommy and daddy, you know, or here's a toy. I want to show you how you can hit Lukey with it. <laughs> they will never do that because it just comes naturally to them. We are born that way. So John, all the more important for him to say, now you've been born again, totally different. So if you've been born totally different, you should not be living the same. And, and so, so he points that out. And so this is going to be something that's really serious to John. 27 times in this book, he's going to talk about sinning. The book is only five chapters, so more than five times a chapter, he's going to talk about sin to us because it's serious to him. He would know the cost that was paid for sin. I mean, this was his friend on one level, Jesus that he, that he, hung, he hung out with for three years and that he gave up everything to follow. This was him, and he watched him die that horrible death. The, the gospel says he was there and he watched it, so he understands the price that was paid for forgiveness. So he wants to make sure we don't make light of that. He's not saying that born-again people stop sinning, that, that we never sin, because then who could ever be, have any kind of assurance in that? But he is saying that we don't continue on in it recklessly, that we don't get calloused about it. You know, you have conversations with people you're worried about, you see things in their life, and so you talk to them about it. I hope you're talking to them about it for their sake. I mean, that's genuine love, isn't it? This is not a good thing. It's not healthy for you. It's not going to lead you to life. It's going to disappoint you. All those things. So we're having those conversations, and the person says, it's not that big a deal. That's someone who's developed a callous toward their sin. That's what John is talking about. You know, or it doesn't, doesn't really affect them. It, it doesn't really bother them. Or people that are careless, you know, you need, to, you need to stop going to that place. You need to stop hanging around with that person. You need to break up with that person. You need to use your finances better. Don't worry, it's mine, it's whatever. You're just being careless. And John says, boy, if you've been born again, if you're new at the core, you're not going to continue on in that kind of a life. You're going you're gonna to move forward. This is, this is Romans 6, 7, and 8 in, just put into, into John's gospel. So, so he knows. He knows that, that cost. He knows those things. He doesn't want us to accept the sinful parts of us. It seems like we're all wired and we're susceptible to specific sins. There are things you wrestle with that I don't, things I wrestle with that you might not. So we have, we have those uniquenesses. He just doesn't want us to accept those things. You know, a believer should never say, it's just the way I am, about something that grieves God, or something that God has said is just wrong. We should never embrace it in that way. That's how I've just always been a fearful person. I've always been a negative person. I've always, you know, hey, angry. I'm just angry. That's how I am. That's how I've always been. You are embracing something God says is sin. And if you embrace what he says is sin, the spirit will never be able to break out into what new life is trying to bring into you. 
So, so John says, I've written these things because I want you to know. I want you to know you have eternal life. I want you to know God hears you. I want you to know that born-again people don't make a practice of sinning. They might. They might sin, but they're not going to make a practice of it. He goes on and he, he says something that makes us understand this week better. He says in, in verse 19, we know that we're from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Just to give them perspective, this is going to be true for John. You know, if you fast forward into his life, if you turn over a couple of books to the book of Revelation, in Revelation 1, John lets them know where, where, he, where his location is, what's going on in his life. In Revelation 1.9, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom of patient and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he lets you know, for, for those believers reading this letter at that time and for all time, who are going through tribulation, that I'm a partner in it. I'm a partner in the tribulation. I'm a partner in suffering and in uh, persecution with you. Why? On account of the word and the testimony of Jesus, he's been exiled to the island of Patmos. So he writes in 1 John, and then he experiences it again in Revelation chapter 1. We know the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. We don't have to tell this to our persecuted church family. I, I got a, a thing from Open Doors in their app I use. They give us like five per, per updates a day. On Christmas Eve in northern Nigeria, which is just becoming a horrible place for our brothers and sisters, a group from Boko, uh, boy, I just lost their name, an Islamic group, yeah, I thought it was Boko Haram, just drove through these Christian villages just shooting as they went. Uh, killed 11, 11 believers, one a five-year-old boy, kidnapped a, dump, a bunch of others. I, got, I read an update this morning that December 30, 30th, they lined up five of those they kidnapped and just shot them all in the head. I read this week about a sister of ours in, in Nigeria whose church was doing a Christmas program and she was up at the church getting ready for that with the kids and, and was walking home and some men just lured her into the woods and raped her. You know, a 40-something-year-old sister, you know. I saw the thing I put on my Facebook page yesterday that I got yesterday from the ministry 838 that two of our sisters in Pakistan kidnapped and raped repeatedly for days and then murdered. You don't have to tell the persecuted church that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. It's really, it's really specific how that's worded. It's just that the world lies under the evil one. It just lies under him. You go into a place and, well, who's in charge here? Who's over everybody? Who's your boss? That's what John is saying. That over this world, because of the fall, we, we, we miss that peace. That when Adam and Eve fell, authority over this world was given to Satan. They gave their authority to manage it and oversee it to him. And God is ultimately, I mean, his throne is over all. But in this planet, we need to just understand that God's goals and his standards and his values and his purposes, they're not natural. That's not the way the world is moving. And somehow we need to stop being surprised by that and recognize that our, li our whole lives as followers of Jesus and our whole mission as, as a church and followers of Jesus is, is, 
going to be against the flow. And, and now in America, it's countercultural to be a believer. I remember going to a marriage and family thing early on in ministry, and uh, the guy leading it said, hey, if you want to be countercultural, stay married. Think about that in our culture. Just how much of just following Jesus as a normal Christian is counter to this culture. And so really we need a mind reset that as a follower of Jesus, I need to understand that I am stepping into a current that is against me. I need to understand that people are going to look at me as someone who's wrong or narrow or, you know, keep unrolling it, bigoted or hateful or all of those things. And I need to, I need to let my testimony not be those things while I still hold to what the Bible says is true and right. But, but somehow our mentality needs to, to lie in on the fact that this is his world, that we are living in darkness. That's why we're called to be salt and light, so that there is light in a very dark generation. In the midst, remember Philippians says, in the midst of a wicked and, pers- wicked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights in the universe. That's where we are. So... So don't be surprised. You should be, you should be checking. We should be checking to make sure there's pushback against us. Because if there's not, then we're not standing out in any way. Unfair pushback. I mean, is it James or Peter that will say, so that when they see your good works, they'll be ashamed of how they have, how they have uh, treated you. So, so the whole world lies under Satan's power. And then one other, one other thing that he assures us that we know is in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and that he has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. And then little children, uh, keep yourselves from idols. We'll come back and, and we close out in the series on that verse. But he's telling us that, that Jesus has given us understanding that before you came to Jesus, before you were saved, well, this is what I think. This is how I think a person goes to heaven. This is what I think the purpose of life is. This is what I think about myself. There were all those things we thought, and then we came to faith in Jesus, and he helped us to understand the truth and to change the way of, of all of those thinking. Think, look, walk through what Scripture tells us about our thinking. Before we came to Jesus, we were, we were in this case. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you have a conversation with someone that doesn't know Jesus, and it's, why don't you get this? This is why they don't get this, because there is a spiritual blindness that's come over them. Or in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, the natural person, the person without without the spirit, without Jesus, the natural person doesn't accept the things of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So on one hand, when you're presenting truth to people, they're not going to accept those things because they sound crazy to them. That's what Paul's saying there. But he's also telling you they're not able to understand those things because they are spiritually discerned. Because it takes the Holy Spirit to understand these things, just like it did for you, for you and I. That's why people had to tell us the gospel over and over again, and then suddenly we got it. Because the Spirit helped us understand that. And so in Ephesians, it kind of tells us our backstory. Now I say this, and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. See, that's why it's so important that John says, and we know that we have been given an understanding. That before, we, we didn't get anything. We didn't understand anything. But now, but now in Jesus, we've been given understanding. Now you're, you're reading your Bible or, or maybe you're listening to me or to another message or you're, Christ, you're listening to Christian music or you're just thinking over things and all of a sudden you get this moment of, oh, oh, I get that. I see that. Oh, you're talking to me. That is spiritual understanding that the Spirit is stepping in and giving to you now. That's why it's so dangerous for us to, to be in a service like this and we all fall into it and just... Yeah, I know that, I know that, I know. First John, I've read that a bunch of times. I know that, I know that. Because in the midst of those moments, the Holy Spirit is trying to give us a new understanding and wider understanding. And, and sometimes that understanding is to help you know how to serve other people. I want you to take this to others. You get an insight of someone that you're burdened about. This is the, what they need to hear and, and this is the way that they need to hear it. You know, the, the goal in all of that is is so that we'd know Jesus and grow up in him. That's what Jesus even prayed that we would know, that we get that spiritual insight. We grow in him. We seek him. Uh, we want to yield to him. Those are all things that have to happen. We, he'll give us the insights. Then it's on us to, to just yield to it and to build it into our lives. So it's interesting, it's interesting yeah, how make sure, he makes sure you know that this is true that this understanding that he's given to you is true because look at how many times he's going to say it. He's giving us understanding why. So we may know him who is true. We're in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. He's the true God. And our brothers and sisters in, in India, that's huge to them. He's the true God, not the million of God, million gods you're worshiping or following in Hinduism. He's the true God. Important for you and I to know that you know, we've come to know him who is true and we are in him who is true. Because you're not going to move forward unless you're sure. Can I circle back to how we started this though? Because you have all these things we know, but you, gotta, you come into it with this beginning of verse 13. That's specific. Because I know people, so do you. They're sure they're going to heaven and they're not. They're not. They don't, they don't accept the gospel. And so I'm not saying that because I'm the judge of who's going to heaven, who's not. But I know that if you reject this as the gospel, then you're not, you're not. So here's the you, to you. Who has the right to know that they have eternal life? Who has the right to know that God is listening to them? Who has the right to, to not continue to sin? Who has the right and and the hope of knowing that they're not going to just continue to sinning. Who has the right to know how this world is working, that, that it's under an evil power? Or, or who has the right to talk about having understanding, spiritual understanding, knowing we're talking about spiritually? Those who believe in the name of the Son of God. It's really interesting because there's all kinds of different prepositions in Greek like there are in English. This is the preposition into who believe into the name, of, uh, uh, the name of the Son of God. And so one, uh, one dictionary was saying, it implies a sense of devotion. Not just belief, but a sense of devotion. Those who, are, who have 
put their faith in Jesus as their savior and who have an element of devotion to him, of following him. You remember coming back to that moment in John 6, are you going to leave? We're not leaving. You're the only ones with the word, you're the only one with the word of life. And so we are sticking with you. That's, that's a specific, that's a specific uh, promise here. But it's to a specific group of people. The whole letter is going to be sifting people out. They went out from us, but they weren't of us because if they were of us, they would have stayed. He's talking about believers. It's going to be a time of sifting out. If we say this, then you're lying. If you say they've been born again, but you do this, you're a liar. I mean, that's First John. He's sifting out who's got the genuine thing and how do we experience the genuine thing in the same way that we feel like COVID has kind of sifted out followers of Jesus in a way, hasn't it? It's sifted out. So who came to Cottage Hill? Who came to whatever church? Sundays at 10 because that was a routine. And who came because they were hungry to know Jesus and follow him? It's just a time of, of sifting out because it's harder now. And that's what John wants to do. So we have these assurances and they're yours as long as Jesus is yours. And so great Sunday to just say, God, this is, these are the assurances you want me to live with and I want to live confident of these things. I want to be confident in my relationship with you so that I do. Not, I'm not encouraging you to doubt your salvation. I'm encouraging you to check where's your relationship and the priority of Jesus. I am, whether you're in live stream or in the room, I am inviting you into to believe on Jesus Christ so that you can share these things. You can know you have eternal life. You can know that God will hear you. You can know these things will be true about yourself. And it just comes through simply praying and admitting to God that, that you're a sinner, that like me, you're really good at sinning. And that that you understand that Jesus Christ, that holy son of God, died in your place to pay for all of your sins. And you ask God to apply what Jesus has done to you and become your savior. And, and Jesus will, through the Holy Spirit, will come into your life and seal you and make you his and then begin the work of transformation. You can do that right now. Let's pray. Lord, you know, coming to salvation, so, so thankful for those who were persistent to share the gospel with me. I thank you so much, Holy Spirit, for removing that blindness so that I could believe, so for drawing me, for all those things that the scripture said you did to all of us so that we could be saved. We're so thankful that you live in us, so thankful that we can know that we have eternal life, that we're not constantly trying to check to see if we've done enough so burdened for people, people we know who are so religious, but they're going through all these religious rituals or trying to do all of these, all of these works in hopes of maybe possibly someday being saved. God, we cry out to you for them. Pray you'd use us in their lives so that they can come to know the truth and rest in salvation and find it in you, Jesus. So even as we get ready to sing and leave, we just commit ourselves to making that message known. We commit ourselves to surrendering to you so that we can be genuine in this world, so that what they see as we talk about belonging to you is a genuine thing. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to that end. Thank you that you hear us, that right now you're dialed into what I'm praying, but also what's going on silently in our hearts. We just, boy, Father, we love you for that. Thank you so much for that gift of prayer and of hearing us. And 
Help us to live well in this world. It's so, it's, it's so evil, God. It's so against all of the good you're trying to bring. And, and there, Lord, there are so many people, Lord, who are convinced that they're trying to bring good in and, and they just don't understand. And so we just cry out to you for them. We hear you, Jesus, when you say in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Thank you that you are victor. Even now we follow you in victory. So help us to follow you in that way and walk in understanding. We don't want to lean on our understanding, Lord. We want to walk in yours. We want to make that known. So here we are. Help us to experience all of this in its fullness and then help us to pass that on in its genuine, genuine form. We pray that we know that we'll glorify you. So that's what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, Amen. Would you stand and worship with us this last song before we close out the service? What a beautiful word today. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for understanding. Sing your praise on
Hey, can we finish with what Peter wrote to a suffering church? He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak among you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Hey, that's how, that's how Peter sends us out. So Lord, we receive that. Fill us with your spirit so that our light shines and so that our salt creates thirst. So we pray to the glory of Jesus. Amen. 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 Hey, have a great week serving the Lord. Yeah.